Hello, and welcome to the Canyons Are Calling podcast. I'm Charles Jocelyn, your host for the show. A couple quick things before we get into our story today, because it is a pretty long story, but it's pretty intense, and I think you will all enjoy it. Uh, first of all, I want to let you know about the podcast birthday party. It's going to be in North Wash. We'll camp at the Santhrax Campground. It's going to be February 11th through the 13th. I have created a Facebook page, but if you're not on Facebook, please reach out to me via email at thecanyonsarecalling at gmail.com. I can give you some more information. Basically, I plan to camp at the Santhrax Campground. It seems like we might have a really big group, so we'll split into smaller groups and do canyons and hikes throughout the day and then meet up back at the campground for evening campfire stories and things like that. I think it'll be a really good time. I'm hoping for really good weather. Northwash seems to have better weather um, during the winter than most places in Utah, so I think it's a good choice to go there. Secondly, for all of my Patreon members, we are having a monthly Canyon call, and that's going to be the first Wednesday of every month. So on February 2nd will be our next call at 6.30 Mountain Standard Time. We just get together and talk about our favorite canyons. Uh, Next week, I want to talk about our favorite gear and what gear we always bring along, what ropes we like to use, what shoes we like to wear, things like that, Um, even down to wetsuits and dry bags and whatever. Um, So if you would like to be a part of our Patreon canyon conversation, um, this podcast is completely supported by viewers or listeners like you. <laughs> um, so you can join in on the Patreon fun at patreon.com slash the canyons are calling. Patreon is just kind of a secure platform where creators can um, get donations for the stuff that the content that they create. So if you appreciate my work and want to give me a donation, Uh, You can go there, and then as a reward, I'll give you some stickers, maybe a beer glass, and then you're also welcome to join on these monthly canyon calls, which I think will be really fun. I asked my husband what he thought of the last one, and he said honestly he wasn't expecting it to be very cool, and he really thought it was awesome. So there you go. My husband's super supportive, but that was his thoughts on our canyon call. Okay. The last thing before we get into the show, um, the podcast is reaching a year old, and so I just wanted to do a little thank you for my fans, those of you who listen often. Um, If you could share your favorite episode with a friend and let them know maybe why you like the show, and then tag me in it so I know that you shared it with somebody, I'm going to enter you in to win a drawing that I'm going to have on March 1st. And I'm going to have at least a 120-foot rope available and maybe some other stuff. So the more people that share with their friends and the more you share, the more times you get to be in the drawing. And then I'm going to announce the winner on March 1st in my episode that I launch on that day. So I have a lot of awesome episodes coming up. I would love to increase my fan base, so if you like the show, feel it's valuable, just quickly share it with a friend and maybe you'll win a 120-foot canyon fire rope. May the odds be ever in your favor. (laughs) Okay, like I said, this is going to be a pretty long conversation with Jude Thomas and Kelly Miller about their epic experience that they had in the maze or the Ice Cube Canyon, which is located in Red Rocks near Las Vegas. 
So I'm going to keep this intro kind of short because like I said, the interview is kind of long, but it's well worth it. Enjoy the show. Okay, cool. We are here with Jude Thomas and Kylie Kelly Miller. <laughs> Kelly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always want to say Kylie until you said that yesterday. Sorry about that. <laughs> Would you like to take a moment just to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got into the outdoors. Sure. Uh, um, I am, uh, I've always been an uh, outdoor enthusiast. I started rock climbing when I was 16 years old um, and then um, taught rock climbing for a number of years, avid uh, mountain biker, uh, hiker, mount, uh, light mountaineering, <laughs> not really the heavy stuff, but light mountaineering. So um, I've just always been um into getting outside and, and enjoying the outdoors. And um, I work in the film industry. So I work hard on movies and then I play hard um, when I'm not at work. What types of movies have you worked on? Can you tell um, Yeah, I mean, I worked on the Avengers. Um, at, we don't get as many big movies here in Ohio, but we had Captain America and the Avengers and um, a lot of big movies like that and, uh, Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. Ooh, awesome. <laughs> um, because you know, uh, I had to climb the scaffolding and, and the safety officer was like, climb in better. And I was like, no. And we had a whole conversation about safety and then he, he, uh, acquiesced to my expertise. <laughs> he was like, oh yeah, that, that actually is true. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Very cool. Okay, Jude, how about you? Uh, nowhere near as exciting as Kelly. What uh, sort of um, professionally? I'm a I'm a dentist and an attorney. I, I spent a lot of time going to school. Um, I went to business school and law school and dental school and some surgical year residency years and so forth. Um, I'm kind of a guy who was married to education for a long time, uh, but now kind of have settled into. Uh, a gig which is pretty much just designed to support my you know, adventure lifestyle. I bought a dental practice a few years ago and we're only open three days a week and it's pretty, pretty low key. And it just gives us a ton of time to be able to travel and, and do the things we like. Um, I've also always been a, a big outdoor guy. Um, I've been running trails since I was a kid and ton of marathons, dabbled in the ultra running stuff a bit, have been a mountain biker since I was, you know, in my late teens, um, rock climbing. I came to a little bit later in life, certainly later than Kelly. Um, yeah, just mountaineering, scuba diving, whitewater kayaking. I mean, you know, Kelly and I do just a ton of that kind of stuff. We're really into the outdoors. And we finally kind of have a schedule after, you know, her many years in New York working like seven jobs and my years, you know, going to school and working for you know, law firms in New York City and Philadelphia and residency and all those years where we just had really no free time in our lives. We were finally about, you know, seven or eight years ago, fell into a point where we now have much more time. We're able to control our, our schedule a little bit. And that has sort of led to an explosion of traveling out west and other other places around the world to do the things that we like to do. Very cool. So how did uh canyoneering enter your lives? Um the first time I went canyoneering was um 
What was that? That was uh. Was it Cassidy Arch? It was Cassidy it? Arch. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was Cassidy Arch. Yeah, I mean, we you know we've been climbers forever, and so the skill set was always there, but we didn't really have a chance to do specifically canyoneering until probably yeah a few years ago. And I think that was our first thing. Yeah. Well, we had done the narrows top down, but that, that didn't involve, we just canyoneering, but it didn't involve um, rappelling and anchor setting and everything else. And um, that was things that I had always been comfortable with. Cause I had not only um, done it for years, but I had also taught it. Um, and it was more taking more trips out West because we don't, we don't have canyons here. <laughs> You know, Rappel here is just a, a beautiful, huge cliff in in uh, North Carolina or something like that, where um, similar skill set, but definitely different environment. And so we did Cassidy Arch and it it definitely gave us the the bug where we were like, oh, I want to do more of this. Yeah, I guess that's the evolution. You know, we'd, we'd been climbing and, and raving for years, but then we got to spend more time out west hiking in slots like buckskin gulch and uh was the thing we did in our in canyon lands we, we hiked some slots a bunch of places and so we kind of got interested in that you know that fiery furnace yeah things like that and so the coalescence was we really need to get on some ropes into some slots that would be neat and that's kind of how it happened okay i love cassidy arch that's a great canyon yeah beautiful, beautiful. that's a great beginner canyon too yeah quick in and out yeah that first repel is awesome. Yeah, the pictures, it's so beautiful. Pictures write themselves there. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. Way cool. Okay, so um, how do we transition into where you got into the maze? Yeah, go ahead. Go. Um, well, we uh, Jude had a conference he was going to, and um, we started exploring like. Hey, I wonder, I wonder if there are any canyons near Las Vegas and what, what are those canyons? And we started, um, you know, we went to Blue Gnome and, and Ryan's Guide and we were looking at all the different descriptions and um, narrowed it down to a couple things. And then, you know, Red Rock is right there outside of the city and Ice Cube had a lot to offer. We knew it was going to be a big day. I mean, uh, but we went back and forth about it. And then I actually found a video of somebody who ran it with their kid. Um, and I was like, ah, it can't be, can't be too bad. Right. <laughs> so, um, looking at the pictures of it, it was just stunning. So we said, yeah, we, we've got to do this. We've got to make this happen. And, you know, we, this was in, this is in 2019 in like the second week of June. So we knew we had, uh, like 14 and a half hours of daylight. And so even though it was kind of pushing the limits of, this is, Ice Cube is a 4B4. And so we knew it was pushing the limits in terms of what we'd done with respect to the amount of time, you know, the number of wraps. And I mean, just to give an overview, I guess, of Ice Cube for anyone who's listening, um, the canyon itself is laid out in three, three parts, the main canyon with sort of a bookend on either side of hiking. So basically hike a couple miles up a gravel road and then you ascend 1500 feet up to a plateau rim then you drop in the canyon itself is then in three parts the first part is a series of between 12 and 15 wraps through some pretty technical stuff and it progressively wetter the middle then you hit the middle section which is essentially a hike through a boulder field for about the same distance it's sort of creek bed slash 
boulder fall slash deadfall, a lot of scrambling and down climbing. And then the third section, which is really spectacular, is again a series of 12 to 15 repels that just are relentless. They don't stop. It's you know, get off your rope, tie into the next one, get off your rope, tie, I mean, just nonstop into very narrow, windy slots. And then when that's all done and after the big last repel, it's a hike out down through a boulder field again to a trailhead and, and then you loop back. So we had a good sense of what it was going to look like. Um, and it just it sounded like sort of the, the perfect thing for us on a long day. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so just to back up a little bit for people that don't really know what canyoneering is, can you explain what a 4B4 means? Sure. Um, Canyon rating system is divided into um, usually three parts, sometimes with a letter at the end. But um, the first number is difficulty, right? Yeah. Yeah. So on a scale of one to four, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so this is, you know, four out of four, essentially. Uh, the second letter, A, B, or C, indicates whether there's water in the canyon. A is essentially dry. B is there's going to be some pools for sure. And C, I think, is what, like running heavy current water, you know, waterfalls, yeah, that water. kind of thing. Yeah. All right. And then the last number, which is a Roman numeral for one, two, three, four rating there, just determines how long of a day you can expect in the canyon. So one is a really short day, you know, half half day trip at, at worst, you know, and all the way up to a four. Um, some people then append a letter onto it, an R or whatever, if there's some individual challenges that are super technical or dangerous. Um, I don't know if I ever saw a letter appended to this one. either. No, way. no, the anchors were all good. I mean, it was definitely not R-rated, although it's definitely not R-rated, but there are moments. Um, some of the down climbs were, were definitely intense. Uh, you'd look at them and you go... If I want to throw caution to the wind, I could just sit on my butt and slide down it, but it's almost vertical. And again, because you think you could slide down it, there's not a lot of friction. You're just really chimneying down those things and pushing as hard as you can and hoping for the best. Wow. Hmm. And then, yeah, if you do slide, the potential of like twisting an ankle or landing wrong is yep, com yeah. common injuries. Yeah, very common. We haven't had those. Common. We were, we were looking back on some of the footage that we had and I had a funny moment um, where I come through a down climb and you kind of slide and uh, Jude mentioned, he's like, yeah, I just slid there and I started sliding and I just looked at him and I said, I'm stuck. <laughs> and it was fine. Like he, he braced my foot and I got myself up out. My hips had wedged right into the, into the slide. Oh, no. Yeah. And you just have that moment of like, Ooh, right. Ooh. Oh, okay. It's not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I assume that you guys had done other canyons between uh, Cassidy yeah, yeah. Arch and Icebox. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't, it wasn't a jump from Cassidy to Ice. <laughs> and for the avoidance of doubt. Right. What you just did is something I do all the time. We were in Ice Cube Canyon. Right next to it is Icebox Canyon. And to make it even more confusing, the exit route from Ice Cube Canyon puts you at the Ice Box Trailhead, <laughs> but again, yeah, to avoid confusion, okay. Ice Cube is what we were in. It's also known as the Maze. Yeah. You want to shorthand it for that, but okay, uh, yeah, I'll probably I, say that. I know time. it more as the Maze, so yeah. we'll just reference it as that. For <laughs> it's a it's a it's, good name. It's yeah, it's a very good name. For aptly it. named for it. Yeah. Yeah. I unfortunately haven't done it yet, but it's high on my list. Maybe after your story. 
You may change yeah. your Down to the Want us to walk you through our day? Yes, for sure. All right. So we were staying in Las Vegas. Um, we had things to do the night before, so there wasn't any option to camp in Red Rock Conservation Area. So our goal was to basically be at the park when the gate opens. And it, I think it changes throughout the year, perhaps, but you know, in June it opens at 6 a.m. So we we were out of our hotel, you know, by 5 a.m. at the gate by like 5:40, ready to go. And they opened the gate, and we drove up and uh, hit the road. So we were, you know, essentially we were there as early as we could possibly be without spending the night in the canyon in order to try to kind of maximize our day. Yeah. Um, so we got we got to the park and um, we drive to the trailhead, and then we the first part of the hike is pretty easy. It's four by four road, and then um, immediately you get to a used trail. And you start climbing. Um, so that was. Yeah, so it's a couple of miles on the four by four road and then uh, you know, like two and a half miles. And then you do about a 1500 foot uh, ascent up to the rim, you know, sort of classic Canyon. You got to get up on top first. And uh, we, we, you know, move through all that fairly quickly. It, it's a little arduous. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty solid climb to get up there, but the trail is not too hard to fall, at least as far as getting to the rim. But, you know, at that point, we were in a place where we'd never been before. And we had pretty good description of the layout of the canyon. And there was, you know, supposedly we're supposed to be Cairns up there to kind of lead you to the place where you drop into the canyon, which is it's not right there. You have to work your way over to it. But that's the first point where things kind of fell apart. We essentially wasted a huge amount of time on the rim trying to find the drop in. And we were relying on description and maps and just kind of got disoriented ended up falling instead of Cairns all the way out to an overlook that looks over Las Vegas which is completely the wrong direction and turned around and it sounds incredible because when we finally made the decision to hey let's just use the waypoints that we plugged into our GPS device and get back on this stupid trail by the time we did that and got to the drop-in point somehow we had blown a huge amount of daylight yeah, I, it was it was astounding how much time we lost, and, and as it was happening, we're we're feeling it, and and then when we finally did find the trail again, and and realized where we were, because the the um, ice box canyon is pretty well traveled, so it was ice we, cube? no ice box. Oh, the other ice box. So <laughs> the other one is very well traveled, and it's just a hike. So right. uh, a lot of the cairns were either going in that direction, which we didn't want to do. And then the other issue is something that I now um, fight uh, a fight very vigilantly against is what we term Karen culture. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people go out and they think they're being uh, meditative and Zen and they build little Karens and they take pictures of them. They think it's really cute. Um, and <laughs> what they're doing is uh, making it very hard for people who are using those as as uh, waypoints and confidence points, really? Yeah. Uh, during yeah. during an adventure. But still entirely our fault. I mean, we should have just gone to our GPS devices and followed the waypoints because once we did that, we were back on track in no time. But we had, I mean, we literally had fan split up. We had walkie talkies, so we had split up, fanned out, trying to figure out where the heck the you know the drop in was. We wasted so much time up there. Ultimately, we finally 
found our way there and got to the drop-in. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning. I mean, at that point, we probably should have said, we don't yeah, have Yeah, let's come back another day. We don't have enough daylight. But, you know, I mean, everybody probably runs into that dilemma at some point and says, we just spent like, you know, three hours getting here. And the other part right. is, you're yeah. from out of town. You're not yep. going to be back yeah. there very soon. Yep. Yeah. So many and the other part, which will come full circle in this story later, is that we, you know, we'd done a ton of research on whatever beta was out there at the time in 2019. And Blue Gnome was a good source for that. And Blue Gnome had described what's known as the sneak route, which is, again, you know, that canyon is divided into three sections. For people who want to skip the first section of the canyon and make it a shorter day, there's a way to take the sneak route to drop you into that middle sort of more level section and then go down from there to essentially cut it in half. We thought, well, we can't really do that. We're in the wrong place to do that. But since the sneak route doesn't describe any rope use, just more class four type scrambling. And perhaps if we get in a difficult spot, we could use the sneak route to get out of the canyon and then follow the trail back. So essentially still drop in today, do the first part of her part and then if we need to bail maybe we can bail via the sneak route in reverse up out of the canyon but the important thing being that our description of the sneak route was largely how people get into the canyon not how they get out yeah we were, we were making a we knew we were making a big assumption there but right. okay. we still saw it as a sort of safety valve and thought let's do it so it might be possible okay that makes yep. sense yep okay so um so we we dropped in, um, we hit the canyon at like 11. The first rappel wasn't until about one o'clock, I think. No, or, like 1130. 1130. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1130. That was the, big, um, that's the water, really, kind of. And then, you know, the first section of it is just, it's so beautiful. And it is, the first section and the third section are literally rappel, move 20 feet repel i mean it is one after the other after the other there is very little hiking in between as soon as you're off repel you're looking you know you turned your right and there's the next anchor so it is kind of like a go 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 scenario and it was beautiful and we you know we didn't have you know technical difficulties we enjoyed it and we were well equipped we were you know both in wetsuits <clears throat> excuse me um you know we had our all of our gear pretty well dialed in. Um, but, you know, the challenge for us was just, if, you know, in that first section was just efficiency. Uh, there's just two of us. So, you know, one person's on the rope, one person's getting ready to, you know, bag the rope and flake it and carry it and set up for the next one. And, you know, even working as, as efficiently as we could, we were often frustrated by just determining where the anchor was, if there was one, because some of the anchors were natural and some of them were bolted. And some of them, as Kelly mentioned, we'd come to the edge of something and say, is this supposed to be anchored or are we actually supposed to down climb this spot? I mean, there, there were places where we just, you know, we blew time wandering back and forth, trying to decide whether we were supposed to down climb it or if we were supposed to rope into something that just wasn't there, you know? And, you know, when you're doing a, you know, like I said, that first upper section is between 12 and 15 repels. It really starts to add up through the day where you get to each anchor and you're like, okay, I don't see any bolts anywhere. I don't see sling tied to anything. I don't see a way down this, but maybe I'm just not following it correctly. And there is some little ledge we can edge down and come down it. And I, I, th I think if you added up all the time we did that, it was really excessive. 
but we always either found the down climb or found the anchor or, you know, or, or built the anchor. Yeah. I, I did build anchors on that first one yeah. sections where after looking around and determining, yeah, this, this should be a rappel. There's no down climb here. And it matches the description that we had. Um, okay. Somebody probably pulled the webbing here because it was old or whatever. So um, setting the anchor and, yeah, we had a ton, down from there. ton of webbing, ton of hardware. I mean, we really were prepared kind of for anything technical. But what we, I guess, if I had to say in summary, what we were not prepared for was just the amount of time it would take us to kind of figure it out. It was a root finding slash I've never been in this canyon before. And they're, they're just constant decisions to make as you work through. So long story short, we got close to the end of that first section of wraps and we were sort of using a guide you know wrap numbers you know 13 should be off a tree to the right and wrap number 14 so we, we kind of had an idea where we were mm -hmm. and we get to the last one and we look at the clock and we're like man it's mid-afternoon <laughs> we are actually it's late afternoon at that point yeah. we were getting really late in the day so we had to have a, a powwow again and say okay, we're about to enter that middle third of the canyon where we may have an option to bail out via the sneak route, but we don't know exactly where that is. We have to find it first based on the descriptions we have where we can continue, but we know if we continue, we're definitely going to be leaving this canyon at night in the dark and Ice Cube Canyon is named Ice Cube Canyon for a reason. It is dark and cold in there at night. I mean, it does not get a whole lot of sunlight in those deeper reaches. So we knew it was going to be chilly, you know, if we, if we continued on. So we, we debated it for a while and said, okay, let's try to find the, the use trail that leads to the sneak route and see if we can get out of here. Cause maybe it just makes more sense. And, and, you know, to elaborate, supposedly the top of the sneak route, there is a trail right up there, uh, bridge, something, bridge rim, something, bridge trail. mountain, bridge mountain, I don't know, something. <laughs> Uh, there's a trail that supposedly runs right along that rim. So if you can just get to the top of it, in theory, walk right out. And we thought, let's try to find it. So yeah. And, and as, um, as we both mentioned before, we're both avid runners and hikers and, uh, you know, dabbling in the ultra. So at that point, um, we looked at each other and we thought, well, we'll, we'll lean into what we know we're good at. Like if we have to hike out of this and it was, it was very vertical, but hikeable, a lot of scrub brush and everything else. And we're looking at that and looking at, you know, the potential for um, repelling in the dark. And again, like trying to find anchors or trying to find options to build anchors in the dark Right. If we just when it's cold. Yeah. So we we yeah. said, you know what? Yeah, let's let's try to hike out. So we, we split up and um, Jude uh, Jude went up and I started searching down along the middle section to see if there was anything like I would go a little bit further down and then I'd look up and see if I could really see any telltale signs of trail use or cairns or anything like that. Um, and it's at that point that I uh, twisted my ankle pretty badly. So we were split up and he was calling for me on the walkie. And also the walkie was not giving reception. So I didn't hear him calling for me on the walkie. He had gone up and then he came back down through the middle section and was was yelling for me. And I, I was like, I'm over here. I'm over here. 
you know, he came and he found me. And of course I'm sitting there. <laughs> She's on the ground holding her ankle. And I'm like, okay, well, bad news. I didn't find the sneak route. I assume you didn't either. Now you're a gimp, you know? So, <laughs> so we're not, it's not, things are not shaping up as best they could. And now it's, it's literally like, you know, four or five o'clock PM at that point, I think. And you're like, man, now we've burned some more time. So we again had a conference and said, do we push on down the canyon or do we just start ascending and assume that we're going to run into the sneak route somewhere traversing? Because the description has it going back and forth across that, you know, sort of vertical face out of the canyons. So we thought we might still be able to find it if we just just push through the scrub and start climbing up and maybe we'll have a better angle. Or again, we could just start heading down canyon. And I don't know. We Once again, we decided to try to find a sneak route. So we tore a bunch of skin going through all that brush. We were still wearing our wetsuits, but I, we were, I, I was wearing a shorty. Were you wearing a shorty? No. Uh, yeah. Fortunately for me, I had had surgery earlier that year. I had uh, hernia surgery and I had gained weight. So <laughs> I did not fit into my shorty. Uh, just before we went on the trip, I tried to put my shorty on and it didn't fit. And I was like, oh man, I was so mad. Um, but I had a wet, uh, a set of wetsuit pants, a sleeveless wetsuit top and a wetsuit jacket. Um, they're more kind of like paddling, paddling gear, but, um, that actually ended up working <laughs> probably both the weight gain and the long pants and long jacket. She said, um, she, said she gained weight, but she, she <laughs> probably, yeah, she went from being a stick to being slightly less. Than a stick. <laughs> well, the, the suit wouldn't zip up. I, well, it was one of those moments where you put it on and you're like, I got to climb in this. I don't think so. Um, so yeah, it actually did end up working in my favor that I had those wetsuit, pant, those full cover pants on. And then later when we were in the third section, uh, when it was really cold, I had a wetsuit jacket that I was able to zip up and put on and that, uh, really helped me push through. But yeah. when we looked up and decided, uh, to try again for the sneak route, um, I also remember saying to Jude, when I looked up, I said, I have gear. And if we have to rappel back down, we, we can. Yeah. We, yeah, exactly. Right. And so that was kind of the first point where we started to feel a little stressed. <laughs> like we have, this has to work at this point because it's getting late in the day. So we you know kind of smashed through the brush and it transitions from that to some slab climbing and some boulders and it's pretty it's pretty steep the whole way the vertical is significant to get out of the slot at that point so we very slowly and methodically made our way up and it, it took a long time and probably i don't know getting near the top um started to become a little more treacherous we did not find any of marked route this whole time we were trying to climb this face but we just continued to go up and traverse back and forth we'd run into dead ends and then we'd you know, kind of backtrack and try to find a different way and to get an elevation and just slowly gaining elevation. And then at one point we came to what I would describe as sort of a vertical shoot. We were on a pretty thin ledge um, and there was a shoot that, I don't know, how high would you say it was, Kelly? Uh, I would give the shoot probably 30 feet. Yeah, maybe 30 feet of like... It wasn't small. It wasn't like huge sort of sketchier climbing. It was, just, it was just enough where you look at it and you go, okay, that's not horrible. And it, it's something that we would have looked at probably normally and said, there's no point in trying to go up that. Let's find another way. But you can see just above it, a big plateau. 
And above that, we could see sky. And we thought, okay, this is probably it. If we can get up this last bit onto that plateau and then scramble a little bit, we have a good chance of being on the rim and maybe getting out of here before it's dark. Um, so I went up the chute first and the, the reaches were a little long enough that it felt a little sketchy. And I mean, I had to really stretch myself out to have handholds and footholds, but I managed to get up there. Okay. And just kind of plop down on the plateau above it. And uh, I waited for Kelly. <laughs> um, I got into the chute and it was, it, it was very, very reachy for me. And then combined with uh, my pack weight, um, I got halfway up the chute and, you know, you always have to adjust your climbing techniques based on what you're, do what you're doing, right? If you're rock climbing is one thing, rock climbing with a backpack on that's an extra 30 pounds of upper body weight that I'm not used to is a whole nother thing. So I got halfway up that chute and my foot slipped and I tried wedging myself in at which point it knocked the walkie talkie off of my harness. The walkie hit my foot, hit the ledge and went for a thousand foot drop. And <laughs> I, I uh, yelled up to Jude um, at that point. I just yelled up to him. I said, throw me a rope because um even just having like the the stability of a rope to you know keep myself on the rock um I, I was doing a forearm brace in the crack i couldn't really get my body fully into the crack to just kind of rest and collect myself and uh so yeah i, I yelled up and i was like throw me a rope and he's like what i was like just do it now <laughs> there's a lot of urgency in it and he was like ah Okay. And I, I honestly didn't even initially know what to do. Um, it was, you know, I've certainly belayed people for decades from below, but have never really had to think about how to rescue belay somebody from above, all of which is really dumb. I mean, we should have, you know, she should have taken her pack off. We should have pulled it up. I should have thrown her rope in the first place, but we were just kind of in that autonomic, you know, keep moving forward kind of mode. And you start to lose sight of smart things sometimes when you do that. But in any event, she was like, just tie it to your harness, whatever. You know? And so I I quickly, I think I ran it through my my device and uh, threw it down to her. And there was like that pregnant moment of me waiting for her to say that she got it. Because I'm, I'm throwing a rope over an edge and I can't even see where it's going kind of thing. Um, but she was able to grab onto it. And uh, yeah, I wedged into the chute. Uh left left hand has a, a forearm brace which is basically like you shove your hand into the crack and then you push your wrist and your elbow in opposite directions to to just kind of wedge yourself and give yourself some something to because there's nothing to hold on to and then uh with my other hand um tying a figure eight and tying myself in um yeah one-handed figure eight that's pretty pretty nice work yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> reversed i'd probably be dead but, That's uh, something we should all practice. In any event, we both laid on that plateau, kind of staring at the, <laughs> the sky and thinking, okay, that was really dumb. Probably should not have made that move. But we were also on the plateau and thought, okay, finally, this is good. So there was a last bit of scrambling to be done to get up to what I assumed would be the way out. And uh, Kelly took a timeout uh, as, as well as she should have. And uh, I did the last bit of climbing up there myself and I got 
not kidding, Cheryl's, I tell you, is I think I got within 20 feet of the top of the rim and topped out, could not find a way up. Literally got up there on the set on this rock ledge. There's a dead tree like 20 feet from the edge of the rim <laughs> next to me. And just a sheer featureless face in front of me with nowhere to go. I mean, so we had just spent two hours climbing that vertical face to get to that point. And I'm on this, you know, 20 foot wide ledge, 20 feet below. And there's just no way. I mean, I'm, I'm going through everything in my head, you know, I throw like a pack up there, you know, <laughs> anything. I But it just, right. I could not think of anything that would not probably get us killed. And as that, as that realization is dawning, the sun is literally just dipped below the rim and it's sunset is here. And I just sat down and put my face in my hands and uh, had this like utter sense of, I can't believe this is actually happening to me and that we are really screwed now. And we're going to have to make some hard decisions. I'm sitting there and as I'm just like, you know, feeling horrible about life, I hear this like buzzing, thrumming, metallic sound. It was just like the strangest thing. I'd never heard anything like it before. And I'm I'm picturing like some horrific insect is about to land on my face or something. And and I raised my hand out of my head and directly in front of me at eye level, like I kid you not, inches away is the most beautiful hummingbird you've ever seen. Staring me right in the face. Like, wow. He's looking at me like, Hey, what are you doing? This is where I hang out all the time, you know. And, I, and I'm in this state of like, I'm trapped. Our lives are over. We're <laughs> going to be in this canyon all night. We're going to either kill ourselves or have to be rescued or look like idiots. You know, it's it's a terrible place. And and he's just like, hey man, what's going on? And uh, something about that moment like kind of turned me around. I just I thought, you know, his life is going on. This is just an ordinary day for a hummingbird at you know 1,500 feet or whatever. <laughs> Up a, a canyon and uh i'm you know just this guy who he's like i don't see you very often here <laughs> like okay okay we can do this we're going to find a way out of this canyon we're not gonna you know we're not gonna lose our lives here we, we're smart and we're both healthy neither one of us is like in any kind of physical major physical distress other than kelly's ankle is the size of a softball um we'll we'll find a way out so i very carefully climbed back down to her told her what i'd found and uh, we made a plan to get the hell out of the canyon. Yeah. So at that point, um, because a lot of it was vertical, uh, I we we just started looking and assessing. Um, okay, we need to drop in, you know, down canyon was to our right, and and looking at that, and then I'm looking at the the heights of the different cliffs because there were cliffs there. There was there was how we had climbed up. But then also a little further right, there were uh, several sheer cliffs dropping down. And I started just doing the math in my head. Okay, we want to, we can start here. There's, there's a great tree there. I can, I can uh, arrange um, uh, to ghost that and we can rappel down from there. And then, uh, so that first rappel was probably a good hundred feet, which was great. Like, cause it, you know, starting to feel like, we're going to be, we're going to get moving. And then, uh, the second one, um, because again, it's not very well traveled and there's a lot of scrub brush and everything else. So when I ghosted, um, my, um, webbing and my accessory cord got caught 
And no matter what I did, I couldn't, I couldn't get it loose. And we looked at it and I thought uh, I could probably hike up and get it. But again, we're just everything. I feel like a lot of our uh, trial was just minutes, a minute here, a minute there that constantly added up to keeping us there longer and slowing us down. And, you know, obviously fatigue starts to set in. And uh, so I I had to abandon that gear. Yeah. And I I guess for the listeners, um, since you made us backtrack earlier on the Canyon classification, (laughs) you were reading my mind. Yeah. When we're talking about ghosting, um, Kelly can describe it better, the technique and the hardware that we used uh, than me. Go ahead. Tell them what we're talking about. Uh, so I had I had uh, a loop of webbing um, with two um, Malion repeats, quick links, um, however you want to call them. And so the rope passed through those two. Basically a strap with a ring on either end. Yeah, a strap with a ring on either end of it. And then on one of the rings, my accessory cord, which is just a a very thin piece of rope that doesn't weigh a lot. You use, you know, a thinner piece of rope um, so that you're not carrying a lot of extra weight, but you can use that to help retrieve your stuff. So a thinner piece of rope attached only to one of those rings. And then the rope passes through both rings for the rappel. And then when you're finished with the rappel, you can pull the rope and then the cord, yeah. the cord and then the rings themselves are no longer attached to each other so that you pull from one side that the accessory cord is attached mm-hmm. to. And that pulls it out. Hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, <laughs> it pulls yeah. it out from around this really scrubby, barky tree. Um, and then uh, everybody ducks because <laughs> you just <laughs> Two pieces of metal and and sent them flying towards you like a bolo. <laughs> yeah. And so in summary, it's just a, something that you can, you know, use to attach yourself to, in our case, mostly trees, but then yank it back down and use it again. And that right. our goal is to do that so we weren't blowing through so much webbing and so we weren't having so much impact in terms of leaving anchors everywhere, even though it's a place that probably no one will ever see again, <laughs> but idiots like us. Um, but yeah, so we were using that system and it worked for the first one. Yeah. It worked great for the first one, which thankfully was a big repel. We got a lot of distance on that. Um, but yeah, the second one, and I actually did climb up a little bit, uh, and cut the accessory cord so that I could keep what I still had left. Yeah. It just got stuck on the second Mm -hmm. one. We couldn't yank it back down. So from that point, we did have to build some anchors to get back down to the bottom. We did eventually get back down to the bottom. And at that point it was, you know, pitch black nighttime kind of thing. And we were kind of in it for real. And again, just, you know, to clarify, um, we, you know, we looked at our gear. We did both have um, in Garmin inReach um, devices. So, you know, if we really wanted to, we could have pushed the SOS button on those, but we also had adequate water and food and warm clothing and I guess if needed fire building equipment, uh, water filtration, we were pretty well kitted out, but we did have that dilemma, you know, even before we climbed down from that ledge, should, should we be like pushing the button on this thing and asking for somebody to get us? And I think our conclusion was they're probably going to say, are you hurt? Are you injured? Are you you're freezing to death? No. Okay. Maybe in the morning, someone can come down and, and help you walk out. <laughs> You know, I guess maybe the best, you know the best case scenario is someone would throw a rope over the edge of the rim for us, but we weren't even sure if that was, you know, a reality because even though I could see the edge of what I assume was the rim, for all I know, it was a fin, you know, or a slab, 
yeah crevasse you know and long story short we thought it was probably better to get ourselves out but we did have the gear to you know call for help if we needed to yeah i think that's a smart decision yeah and it was it was also the conversation of um you know very few people run that canyon because very few people are qualified to run that canyon so uh, understanding that that people are not going to be able to access us yeah we've heard enough stories on your podcast about search and rescue <laughs> travails you know not not necessarily being the best equipped to get to people and of course this is that's hindsight but uh that's yeah. kind of where our heads were not that you know not that we're canyon experts and that no one else could do what we were doing but more along the lines of they're gonna it's gonna take them time to find somebody who is you know able to do that yeah for sure right? and uh is yeah. it really worth it for us to sit here if we're still both you know, in one piece. Just to be able to continue. That yep. makes sense. So yep. was the thought of ever like staying place for the night and just waiting till the morning? Yeah. Did you think we, of that? Or we had that, we had that thought and our, our thought process was this. Um, we were both pretty cold already. To do that, we would probably have had to produce a fire, I think. I don't, I don't know if we could have, you know, just huddling together would have kept us warm enough overnight. We were both a little bit wet. Mm -hmm. um, so hypothermia was in a concern. Oh, it was a, yeah. uh, that, that comes later in the story. Yeah. And but, I do I do carry a mylar blanket with yeah. me. We had yeah. a fire starting kit and everything else, but the amount of energy to expend to do that. And then also that. still knowing that there is a 90% chance that when the sun comes up the next day, we're going to have to finish the canyon. Yeah. So at that point, we're even twice as tired we haven't eaten at that you know like start right. again it's like those those little mo moments of what adds up like what's taking the the you know like finding the anchors and stuff like that was taking time having time to sit and um even just think or rest is also time on your feet that you were burning calories yeah. so again uh, and water so again you got to think you got to keep moving or but to your point Shirley, we definitely went through that th that thought process i mean we is it better, make more sense for us just to stay here and do this when we have daylight but also spend a cold night in the canyon or do we keep moving and get ourselves out and it was i mean it was not a oh yeah we'll just keep going kind of decision it was no it was like, what and i mean it, it was stressful you know it was, we were really at that point like Every decision we've made so far has not worked out in our favor. Like yeah. we're starting to really right. question ourselves. You know, do we do yeah. it make sense? And but we we opted to keep going. Okay. I actually had a, a moment. So, you know, we we got down to the middle section, and then uh, finally got to the the third section of the canyon. And um, there was a moment, you know, we were looking at the description and we get to that part. And I, I remember being exhausted, sitting down, being very frustrated, looking around like this is this can't be a down climb. There's got to be an anchor. And I just sat there and was like defeated. And then I looked to my right and there's the anchor. And I was like, OK. <sighs> And honestly, like finding that anchor and actually laughing for a moment. And then Jude came up behind me because I was because I'm sitting there laughing and he's like, what's up? And I was like, I didn't see it anywhere. I thought it was a down climb. There's the anchor. And and that was the first rappel into the last section. So I actually had this moment 
huge moment of relief because I thought, okay, well, this is it. We just have to run the rest of the canyon. And here we go. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember getting to the very beginning of that last third, sec the last section, which again is roughly 12 to 15 repels. And we've already done at that point, probably more like 20 repels because we did the first section and then we did our own repels and, and uh, we were, you know, we we're pretty tired, but we we're still moving. But I remember getting that point and just kind of taking a breath and saying, okay, this is it. I have, you know, we both have two headlamp batteries. So we're going to be able to see what we're doing, but we're going to be finding anchors in, you know, the narrow beam of a headlamp and it's getting cold and we're going to be in water from the description. We're going to be in water for the rest of this Canyon. So like kind of take a breath and get ready and do this. And we jumped in and that was, it was tough. Um, from that point, it was just nonstop swimming, wrapping, swimming in freezing cold water. With you and a shorty. We're in a shorty. Yeah. Yep. Oh, trying, to, trying to rig ropes with hands that are shaking and muscles that are cramping from just the constant shivering. Like we were really cold. We put every layer of clothing on that we had, which was a fair amount. But even then, you know, you're wet and there's no, there was no break. I mean, it's just into the water catch takes your breath away kind of thing swim across drag yourself into the shore lay there for a minute get up pack up the rope move 20 feet 30 feet ahead search for 10 minutes sometimes to try to find the next anchor or the next down climb get frustrated look around and uh finally find it and keep moving and the one sketchy moment for me the first sketchy moment for me and all that was we'd been doing that now at that point for a couple of hours we were working our way through that and it was slow going and we were really definitely in the early stages of hypothermia and uh i was using an atc on a two strand repel and you know I, I always do the same thing methodically but uh my hands are shaking and i put my my ropes through the atc and clipped into the carabiner and step back just a little bit to test my weight there. I always, I always do. And one rope just shot right out of the ATC because I had missed it with the carabiner, which Ooh. anybody can do. Right. Um, so good thing you did that test weight thing. Like you're I did. And I had about six inches before I had been, been off the ledge. Like I, I, it was a short ledge, you know, so you only have so much room to test the weight and there's yeah. a low angle repel on top of that. So there was only, you know, so much option to test it, but I watched that fly out and I just said to myself, got to stay vigilant here. Right, stay focused, stay yeah. focused. I, I remember um, probably wrap six or seven. I, I'd have to go back and look at the description, but uh, we had just gotten, really just gotten into the water and the, the scope of how much water uh, we were gonna have to deal with was really starting to hit me because I, I got to this repel and it was literally, I think it was only like a 10 or 12 foot rappel to the top of the water. It was very short. Um, spicy, spicy getting into it, which means it's, you know, low, low angle for, for the uninitiated. Overhang freehand. Um, basically, it's really hard to get into and put your weight on that rope safely. Like you just, just, there's some maneuvering happening. So I rappel down and I have my feet just above the water. And I turn around with my headlamp and in the distance, not like turn around and see it in the distance, I think I see the water exit. So the water exit is a good 15, 20 feet away. So I have to drop into the water 
get off my rope and swim across yeah, this then, little pond. Yeah, then right? figure out how far you have to swim. Yeah. And I can't tell you, by the way, how disturbing it is to be shivering on a ledge at each wrap, pull the rope out to its middle point because you have no idea how, you can't see down far enough to know how far the wrap is, right? And at that point, we didn't know right. which wrap we were even on. Yeah. Right? I can't tell you how disturbing it is to like throw your rope over the edge in pitch black and just wait and then hear in the distance a big splash, like a long way down and think, <sighs> okay. <laughs> it's a big pool of water. Yeah. 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 yeah, and that actually, so that moment I had, I had rappelled down and I had my feet like two inches above the water and I kept looking down at the water and looking over at the swim and looking down at the water over at the swim. And finally he yells at me and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just, it's fine. Cause I really had to like work myself up at that moment. Cause it just kept getting cold yeah. to drop into that water. When right. I, was having, I was having flashbacks of another you know adventure we had climbing Matt Whitney where she was scrambling on some tough rocks and disappeared for a while. And I had to wait the longest time for her to come back and say, okay, I'm okay. You know, cause I we had no way of communicating with her at that point. And same thing in this Canyon, she'd lost her walkie. And all I could do is kind of sit near the edge and are you down yet? Are you okay? I mean, <laughs> listening for are you, right. are you in the water. Are you, have you swum across? Cause I can't see anything. It's, yeah. It's, and it's he's probably not only hearing, segments, but it feels like minutes for yeah, you. Yeah. And he's not hearing any signs of life. Cause I'm literally just yeah. hanging on the end of the rope. Like I don't, I don't want to do it. Like a little kid. Like I don't want right. to jump in. It's it was like cool. that on every single rappel for the rest of the night, like just swim. And some of the swims were, I was so tired that, that Kelly was dragging me across the water. I pulled myself up onto like an allergy covered rock face, try not to slip back into the water, just lay my face on the ground and kind of lay there for a minute in, in the water. It's like, like, I'm too tired to get up and go to the next one. I need, I need five seconds. It was bad. Wow. Super cold. But wow. like everything, there's a dawn after the, the night and somewhere near the, um, the last few wraps, we literally like looked up and said like, what is that in the sky? There was just this slight glow around the edges of the rock faces. And we realized that we'd now been out there all night and it was morning was coming back around again. And so we came down to the last series of repels that we swam totally hypothermic sun is finally starting to just light up the sky. And we come around a sharp 90 degree turn and we are in this slot channel to the very last rappel, which is the highlight for us for many reasons. It was the highlight, <laughs> but is the highlight of the maze in the sense that you're in a slot that, you know, at its narrowest where it, where it exits the canyon is maybe 18 inches wide. And it's 18 inches that stops dead in a sheer rock face, 200 plus feet above the desert. And so in front of you is, spread out the entire desert and you're just on the edge of nothing looking out at it and for the first time seeing something other than another slot in front of you or another twist or another bend or another pool you can see all of las vegas basically out there and if you flipped it around and looked at it from the other side it would be like a keyhole in the you know in the face of a, of a castle tower or something like we're, we're in this keyhole and that last repel i'll let kelly describe it actually oh uh so yeah, the the amount of relief, not only like 
because my headlamp was dying. So my second headlamp was almost dead. Yeah. And I kept thinking like, as because the dawn, you're tired, nothing's working right in your brain and the dawn is coming. And I'm like, my headlamp's not working, but it doesn't seem to matter. Oh wait, that's the sun coming to visit. And then the timing was just amazing because we literally came out into that slot as the sun is coming through the keyhole. It was that sounds you know, magical. Yeah, it was magical. More than one way. And 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 such a relief where you're like, okay, all I gotta do is hike mm -hmm. out of here now. You know, mm -hmm. obviously you gotta do the last rappel. So it's also the longest rappel of the day. The longest it, rappel of the day. Two hundred plus feet. Yeah. You know? And so I walked to the end of end of the chute and I look down and uh there's the chokestone and with a piece of really old black webbing around it. And I'm looking at that, and because in the description it said, "There's that." And that's and, a, and that's in water, by the way. There's a little stream that just yeah, runs right off the edge of this thing, so constantly runs over. <laughs> like some, like there's algae growing on the webbing. Yes. <laughs> so, that was oh, wow. so I look at that and I go, "Wow, the, you know, the people who used to run this canyon would just use that as the anchor. Good for them." <laughs> she calls it a chokestone. I would I would almost say it was more of a dead man's anchor. I mean, it was a pile of rocks on the floor. You know, set back five or six feet from the edge that we weren't going to use that. No way. Yeah. And then on the wall, way out over the drop is a set of bolts. And which means you if you want to use those bolts from where we were standing, um, you're looking at a, a chimney out over a 200 foot drop. And then I remembered in the description that there was also an additional bolt for safety, possibly above that, I am seeing nothing. And I'm just looking at that thinking, I don't know that I can chimney out there right now because yeah, I, I am so exhausted. I'm sitting on the floor of the slot looking at my hands thinking, let Kelly figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> he literally said, he said to me, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you figure that out. And I looked around and luckily, um, the the bolt that is above that you actually have to come back into the slot a little bit probably about 10 feet back from where those bolts are and then there's like a a little slope that you can climb um that is not i mean it's definitely like a five god i call it a five two or a five no more than that it was sketchy it was sketchy because the handholds were not good it was a friction climb so I'd probably put it at a five, four. So in rock climbing, um, the grades are rated, uh, you know, five is considered rock climbing. So the moment you have to put your hands down and kind of help yourself climb, that's rated a five. Um, so I would, you know, that was definitely vertical friction climb up to that point. I'm sure if I had done it six or seven hours before where I was, yeah. I wouldn't have blinked twice. Um, and I started climbing that and halfway up I slipped and dropped a huge F-bomb and probably a few other things. And um, I pretty much just kept staring at my hands and yeah. like literally like chuckled for a second. Yeah. I was basically de laughing. delirious like, oh, we almost died again. Yeah, he's yeah. laughing because it's like, oh, yeah, it's just another, you know, obstacle. And I got up to the bolt and I knew that the setup of the bolt was that. I could use that bolt to then rappel down to the other bolts that are out over the edge 
And then from there, rappel down. And I was so exhausted and so done. And I knew no matter how mixed up we had gotten in, in, in the course description, that that was the last rappel. Um, and I thought, you know what, if I lose my rope, I don't care. I just want to be done. I just want to be out of here. So I did take a piece of webbing to extend um, from the bolt to help uh, with the potential rope pull. And when I tied my water knot in the webbing, I messed it up. And um, when I went to put my uh, quick link on there, I, I looked at it and then I went to pass the rope through and thank God I gave it another look because that would have helped nobody. <laughs> and that would have been another moment of like, not just falling on, you know, there's, there were so many repels where you could have fallen and been injured, but most of the repels are not that long within that Canyon. It's just one after the other, after the other of these short bursts of like 12 feet, 10 feet, 20 at the most. They're, they're not very big. They're very quick. Um, to know that I'm messing up the knot at the top of a 200 foot drop. Um, so yeah, I was able, I caught myself, I was able to fix it. And again, I took a moment to look around and think, do I want to rappel down and, and set my rope up off of the bolts that are there for the easy rope pull? And I was just too tired. So I rappelled down to Jude, at which point I still had to take that extra accessory cord that I still had with me and tie it to the rope so that after I rappelled, because the, the angle is such that that rope is free hanging and, and he would have to hang out over the abyss to grab the rope, to pull it in to rappel. And with I that, didn't want him to have nothing, to hang over there. Yeah. There's nothing really safe to, you know, personal anger too. So yeah, like, here's the cord, hold on to this. If you drop this, you're not going to be able to reach the rope. Yeah. I mean, in a normal circumstances and sometimes you run a can and you're like, Oh, I'll just reach You know, you reach out over the abyss and I, and I grab the rope or you, you know, you clip into the, to the choke stone and then you can grab it. There were a lot of options there, but it was just, again, we were at hour 20, 20 24 at that point, 24. Yep. So we had spent 24 hours in the Canyon. Um, and I threw the rope. <laughs> the excitement isn't over yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I throw the rope and of course it hits, there's, there's a series of ledges on the way down and hits the first ledge. And I look down and it is a hot mess on that ledge. My rope isn't, it's got 20 knots in it. It's just sitting there in a complete tangle. And I looked at it and I looked at Jude and I said, I'm not pulling it back up. I'm going to go down there. I'll anchor myself on that first ledge and I'll, you know, I'll redress the rope and rethrow it. And hopefully at that point I can see the bottom because there was that ledge. So you couldn't quite see the bottom. So I threw it again and, and came back down. But that whole uh, procedure, of course, because it was, it was just a, it was a, just a snake's nest of rope. You know, oh. you're working there looking at it, just piled on the ground. Like who did this to me? <laughs> so, and him just like, waiting so i get all the way to the bottom and i'll let i'll let you take yeah, it so here from the top you know it was another one of those interminably long weights and i had myself sitting back a few like maybe a foot or so from the edge so i could at least kind of hear her because we didn't have walkies anymore and it's 200 foot drop so i'm you know trying to kind of stay close enough that i can hear her without putting myself over the edge and i'm sitting there and in the little creek and the little tiny stream that runs down the bottom of the slot, 
I'm just watching these little tree frogs hopping around, swimming back and forth, and like the wise creatures they were, staying away from the edge of the, you know, of the drop. And I was kind of mesmerized. And the next thing I know, I wake up and I'm falling over the edge of the cliff almost. Like literally like caught myself and went, did I just fall asleep on the edge of a 200 foot drop? Like, holy crap. And I, I like kicked myself back an inch and said, okay, I'm not gonna do that again. And like 10 seconds later, I fell asleep again and almost fell over the edge. And this time I'm like literally backpedaling, you know, away from the edge. Oh my God, I'm gonna die. I, I can't believe I'm so tired that I'm just like automatically falling asleep sitting here. But so that got the adrenaline going enough to kind of, you know, keep me awake. This is an indication of like how kind of bad it was at that point that I was you know, sitting there in the sun falling asleep while she's going down. But eventually there was a big snap on the rope and she blew two um, quick whistles on her on her rescue whistle to let me know that she was down. And I pulled the rope in and uh, very carefully tied into it, <laughs> paid attention to what I was doing and uh, started to wrap down. And about 50 feet down, I just stopped for a second to kind of take it in. And I kid you not, true story, as I'm hanging there, I hear that thrumming sound again. Right next to me on dive bombing my rope is a hummingbird. And he's just flying there like, oh, blue rope. This is the coolest thing ever. I'm like, really, buddy? I appreciate you shepherding me through these moments in the canyon. I don't know where you were in the dark night, but, uh, you know, thanks for being here again. And it kind of gave me a sense that once again, we were going to be okay. And I just dropped down to the bottom and uh, nice, even wrap because Kelly had already pulled everything apart and we got to the bottom. And then what happened, Kelly? I tried to pull the rope and it didn't come with us. <laughs> I I pulled on the rope. And again, I could have, I probably could have worked harder and I probably could have gotten my rope back, but I pulled on the rope and it didn't move at all. And I pulled on the rope and it didn't move at all. And I hung on the rope and it didn't move at all. And at that point I thought, you know, I could start wrapping, you know, a lot of times I will use uh, either, either my belay device and I'll, and I'll climb up a little bit and throw some weight on the rope and just kind of like drop onto it to try to get it a little, a little scooch to make it move. And um, I thought, nope, I don't have the energy for this. Yeah. You know what I did? I pulled on it once and I said, Goodbye, rope. He did. He he gave he I don't even think it was a full pull. It was just like a light tug. And then his hands just kind of like threw it out away from him. Like, I'm so done with this rope. Six hundred bucks worth of brand new used only once rope hanging from the ledge. And I just walked away and said, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Both of us. In fact, we're on the ground. We we had a nice moment where we chuckled over it. Like if that if if this is all that uh that we lose is a couple pieces of gear throughout the night and uh and two brand new ropes then uh, so be it you know <laughs> people pay bigger, bigger money for for less so um yeah so, so at that point we we hiked up and it's a it's a the so the last phase again of the canyon hike is you're just a lot of down climbing on a boulder field it's still a fairly long hike especially when you're exhausted but we kind of just picked our way out until we finally reached the the trailhead parking lot dumped all our gear there. And then I, I hiked back up the road, which is about a mile and a half to where our car was parked to go get that. And, uh, I'm, it's strange. It must be a real thing. It's like daylight. Now I'm running up this road in a wetsuit. <laughs> Cars are like driving by on their morning, like scenic tours of the, you know, of red rock conservation area. And I'm like jogging in this wetsuit after 
it's been 26 hours at that point. We had been from start to finish 26 hours of moving and I get the car and I drive down. And when I get to the back to the trailhead parking lot, smack dab in the middle of the parking lot is an LAPD SUV standing next to it, a very tall, very tan, classic mirrored sunglasses, police officer who is interrogating Kelly. Uh, yeah. I, I So Jude leaves me um, because I, I, I think I forgot to mention, I twisted my ankle a second time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So my my mobility was pretty limited at that point. In fact, the 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 idea that this the the third section of the canyon was repel after repel was actually worked really well in my favor because I didn't have to hike so much. It was mostly just setting up the repels and, and getting down on them. So it was less uh, less hiking, less scrambling. Um, so that last hike out was awful for me. Um, because I felt like, oh, this is it. We're done. And then, you know, my body was like, no, you're not done. And you're, you're not, I kept, I kept tripping and falling as we were trying to climb, like hike out. So when we got to the trailhead, Jude looked at me and he goes, you know what, you stay here with the gear. I'll go up the road and get the car. And I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> so I'm laying on the ground, sunning myself, um, just trying to warm up. And a police cruiser pulls up and he looks at me and he gets out of the, the vehicle and he, he walks over and he goes, did you? Um, oh, he go, he said to me, he goes, are you coming or going? And I said, coming. And he's like, oh, well, you didn't spend the night out there, did you? And I was like, I sure did. <laughs> and he said, are you Kelly? And I was like, yeah. And he said, you have some friends that are really worried about you. Yeah, and where's Jude? And then, and then he, with his mirrored sunglasses, he pulls his sunglasses down and gives me like this stern look and goes, where's your husband? Yeah. <laughs> like I <laughs> immediately that I had left him behind or that something horrible had happened. Um, and I said, oh no, he, he's, he's up the road. He's getting the car. He'll be back in just a minute. And then, you know, he explained to me that they had, uh, that they had searched our hotel room to see where we were and that uh, they did, they waited till the park opened. And that's when they, when they came to actually come look for our car. So he hadn't even found our car yet. He went to the trailhead where, where he knew we were supposed to come out. And I guess the chain of events was um, when her friend, Leslie, who lives in Las Vegas, just called or you know, texted to check in with us at some point. And when we didn't answer, she got worried. And so after multiple attempts to get a hold of us, she assumed we were in trouble. And she first reached out to the Bureau of Land Management and they, they pretty much told her to go pound sand. I mean, they were just like, we, we, we can't help you. And, but she had a, I guess what a friend. Yeah. She had a friend that was a retired Las Vegas police department, uh, her friend, Brenda. And then uh, Brenda said, well, let's, let's call the police because they can check their hotel room to see if they had been to the hotel room, which we were supposed to fly home that day. We were, at that point, we already missed our flight. So we should have been checked out of our hotel room. Yeah. And all of our stuff is obviously still there. You know? yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, that guy, apparently that the officer called the Bureau of Land Management and said, where is the most likely location to find these people? And they kind of gave them their best, you know, impression. And he drove, he literally drove straight to that ice box trailhead where we exited. And I mean, 
the timing couldn't have been, you know, it's kind of funny, really. Like we had just gotten there and I was just up the road getting the car and, and he was like, oh, here you are. <laughs> yeah. Of, I, 10 minutes ago, we still thought we were going to die, but we're OK. You know, here we are. <laughs> yeah. and, and that was another uh, good and um, moment of like we did, you know, in our planning, we did. The, all the right things because I, my friend Leslie uh, lived in the area and she, I told her this Canyon takes 12 to 14 hours typically. So if you don't hear from us in like 18 hours, this is where we would be parked. This is what we are doing. If you don't hear from us in 18 hours, I mean, don't worry about it too much because we have SOS buttons and, you know, I kind of played it off, but I was right. also in the back of my head saying like, okay, you're supposed to let people know where you are and what you're doing. And she also, <clears throat> she had also reached out to some of our friends in a, you know, big Facebook messenger group that we were all in and kind of to raise the alarm. And, uh, you know, probably one of the good things is that our, our friend Nate basically sort of calmed it down. He said, I, they both carry Garmin in reach. They both pack like ridiculous amounts of stuff. Whenever they do these things, they're probably just delayed. Like, good idea to follow up but don't uh don't you know don't freak out yet and uh fortunately yeah. no, one, you know, yeah. no one called our parents and said your kids are dead or anything like that. <laughs> it's probably good. yeah 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 so okay. i i i came up with the phrase that like uh a good friend will call you on your birthday your best friend will call search and rescue right yeah yeah. And it's a fine line to know when to call and when not to call it's tough. Yeah, because there was this time when, um, maybe I'll just say a friend, I don't want to call him out, uh, hey. went, went somewhere <laughs> and, um, and they were supposed to meet, you know, it was like two groups of people, I two or three groups of people meeting and they had talked about meeting at three different camp spots. So, Group A went to one camp spot. Other guy goes to what he assumed was the right camp spot. They weren't there. Didn't check the other camp spot. Goes to the trail. I mean, the group A messages me in the morning. Do you know where he went? I was like, I only know he went to this area, like Tickaboo area. I didn't really know what his plans were. Um, of course, no cell service out there. Right. Yeah. So 24 hours go by. We don't hear from him. We have no idea where he's at. You know, did he get in an accident on the way to the canyon because he left in the dark? Like, who knows what happens? So we finally decide to call the sheriff's office. <laughs> and, you know, and then, of course, you're trying to call their cell phone, too, and messages and nothing's going through. So you have no idea what to do. Um, they checked the hospitals. He's not in any hospitals, not in any jails, but that was never a concern, you know? <laughs> um, and then like four hours later, I just am like, maybe I'm going to call again. He answers his phone like, Hey, what's up? I'm like, where the hell are you? We've been worried sick for like 30 hours and he had no idea he was even missing. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, we made him get it in reach and <laughs> communicative about what his plans are, but it's a really hard, hard line as the friend, like worrying about the party. Right. Really fine line as to when you call and when you don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But good for you guys for telling people what your plan was and when to expect you to be out so that they at least could be alerted. Yeah. That's we even had, a, I think we even had a note on the car, 
yeah, no yeah we had no on the dashboard we try to do that stuff but uh yeah it also backfires because we couldn't you know contact leslie to say hey we're okay and yeah so, yeah i did i i forgot to mention that too when we were in the third section um we were in really tight slot section of the canyon um i think it was like around 11 o'clock at night I heard a helicopter Yeah, because yeah. I remember around it being around 11 because I looked at my watch and I went, oh, crap, I bet she called search and rescue. And, you know, we don't need rescue yet. <laughs> right. but, but, you know, it was that late. And I was like, I know she's probably worried. But it wasn't it wasn't for us. It wasn't for us. It was there was a uh, they they sent the helicopter out for a lost hiker, but they didn't. Yeah. They didn't want to come look for us. <laughs> um, there was an elderly woman that had gone um, hiking that day and she didn't return back to the trailhead. So they were out looking for her. Yeah. She needed it more than we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we drove back to our hotel and uh, the last kind of funny moment was we, you know, we went, we were staying on the 23rd floor. I don't know. I remember that, but I do. And there's like a doorman who checks everybody's ID and he asked us, you know, show him our thing. And then he asked us what our names were. And I thought that was weird. You no, know, I'm, I'm Judy Kelly. And he looked at us with big eyes. He goes, you are the missing ones. Oh. <laughs> like we were found. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, because they, because they had gone through the uh, Las Vegas police, they had searched the room. Yeah. And he saw the backpack. So that's why he was like, I thought so. I thought you were the missing ones. Yeah, we kind of stuck out. Like a sore thumb in a casino. It's <laughs> kind of funny. Um, so what did you guys learn um, through your ordeal with the canyon? Hmm, nothing. No, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, we, we've always been good planners, but we, I guess for me, the, the understanding was that no matter how well you think you know the route and how well you think you know your skills, that efficiency can stratify over a long period of time can really screw up your plans. I mean, there's only so many things you can kind of either choices you make or time that you waste that before it starts to add up and you can be in a bad spot. So I think the goal is just to be more realistic. If we ever did that hike again, I would do it on the summer solstice. I'd probably <laughs> camp, you know, in yeah. Red Rock Conservation Area and, you know, be at that drop in. Uh, I definitely want to do it again just because it 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 is, you know, it's very unique. It's very cold and wet, though, but uh because of everything that was going on i didn't get to appreciate yeah you know while, looking back at our because we didn't we only had footage from the beginning of the day and First then when, half, yeah. when uh when it started hitting the fan we we turned our gopros off and then we, we had to like, switch to our headlamps yeah, on our helmets so put away the cameras so yeah we'd be nice to see you know what that second half of the canyon looks like not in the dark it's yeah hyper, i'm sure it's hyper, even more stellar hypothermic in the, conditions in, in, in the daytime <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't even know. Like, what would you do differently? Would you have turned around like at the beginning if you knew how? Yeah, we'll make that. Was gonna go? Yeah, I mean that is, you know, it's the same as like uh, summit fever, right? You you're you've worked so hard, you did all this research, you have all the gear. In fact, the airlines had lost our. our our ropes we had bought new ropes yeah so <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah like there was a lot of investment and the problem when you when you invest so much time and energy and and enthusiasm like you're just like it's a stellar canyon so you're just really 
looking forward to that experience that you don't want to give it up. You, you don't want to turn around and say, you know what? It's okay. I can come back another time. We really did learn, you know, like back to your question. And I think about it, you know, for example, we, we, we just finished a trip in October out to Moab and we did a Canyon with a, we led a big group through a Canyon. And when we chose that Canyon, you know, we looked at, you know, the ratings for it and the anticipated number of hours to do it. And we said to ourselves, okay, you know, this Canyon looks really great, but it's an all day Canyon and not everybody in the group is, is very experienced. I bet it could take too long. Here's a half day, but that could easily take a full day. So I guess what I'm trying to say is what we learned is that even though we think that we're pretty good technical climbers and, you know, and canyoneers, sometimes, you know, if it says it's a 46 hour canyon, it still might take somebody who's very, you know, decent at what they're doing, you know, eight hours or whatever. And that's exactly what happened in Moab. We took this group through what was supposed to be a half day canyon. Somebody kind of fell apart and we were out there until sunset. I mean, yeah, for sure. And but but we chose that canyon for that reason. We said we really want to do a full day canyon, but we know now that things can go wrong and we may end up being out here all day. And so the lesson is learned there, I think, that uh, being ambitious, but cautiously ambitious. I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. And knowing that like uh, it, it was a large group that we took through that canyon. So knowing yeah. that's, you know. Four hours can Take easily be four, eight hours. Four hours, hours yeah. you always got to add yeah. to that. You could double that sometimes. Yeah. I always go on the long side of the guide times just because I like to enjoy the canyon, yeah. take yeah. views. Yeah. I'm always like slowly with Shirley. That's just what it is. <laughs> <laughs> How it's going to be. <laughs> like yeah. Well, it was sometimes yeah. it was a little misleading in its own sense. The first when we first started doing canyons, the first few canyons were, you know, it would say four to six hours and we were running it in two. We were like, okay, now we need to slow down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Take yeah. our time a little bit more. And Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have blown through some canyons, you know, underestimates, but we recognize that that's not a rule. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So is there an essential piece of gear that you always carry with you? Garmin inReach. <laughs> I mean, for sure. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, and, and not to, uh, you know, not to, not to plug the uh, the mother company too much, but uh, on that, in in the maze, we neither one of us had true canyoning packs at that point. We were still using climbing packs, and we literally ate through the bottom of our packs on that sandstone between you know chimneying and bridging and stemming and sending and everything else. By the time I was done. I'd worn a hole through the bottom of my pack and then through the waterproof sack inside that and then through the dry sack inside that to like all of my critical gear. I mean, I couldn't believe how much friction we just generated over that like 30 you know, repels or whatever. Uh, it was right after that that we both got, well, I got and then more recently she got yeah. um, inlay packs and man, those things are just bomb proof. I'm very impressed with how they work. So that, I think for me, for canyoneering specifically, that's my essential gear is to have a really good canyoneering pack. And that thing is holding up like a machine. Yeah. I, re I remember picking up my pack after one of the deeper, uh, the, the deeper swims and picking up my pack and having to dump it out and yeah. just realizing that I had slogged because I hiked a little bit with it. And I was like, oh, there's so much water in my pack. And I'm just dumping gallons of water out of my pack. Yep. 
Because again, I'm not, you know, I was tired. It was in the water section and I was not thinking yeah. to immediately empty my pack. Yeah, I even, I, after the maze, I even bought a, a Black Diamond um, a River Runner, one of those big black heavy ones, which is a great sturdy pack. And I actually still use that for climbing now because you can just, it's bomb proof. But we took that into, I think, early, upper early, lower early, yeah. whatever, somewhere with uh, some guys from Salt Lake City. And uh, yeah, I, I was just carrying a bag of water. <laughs> like, you know, it's a dry sack. It has a roll top and everything. Yeah, and it's still, right. still pulled up. I mean, it would have been better just okay. to sh shoot holes in it with a grommet or something, probably. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, I really hope that we get the Emily packs again soon. Yeah. It's in the works, but yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Great. Yeah, they're awesome. Hopefully 2022 will be the year. <laughs> yeah. Any um, questions for us? Well, um, like I ask anyone, canyoneering makes me incredibly hungry. So what is your favorite in canyon snack? Um, my favorite canyon in snack uh, is a shroop waffle, although they fall apart pretty easily. <laughs> I've had a number of times where I've dropped my pack on the ground and then I go, no, my shroop waffle. Um, <laughs> they make me so happy. Uh, but I, I have uh, recently also moved towards definitely carrying like a good sandwich, like solid food, um, for midway through. Yeah. That's it for me. For me now, I, I still carry, you know, lots of, um, nutritional stuff, uh, bars and gels and things like that. But I had kind of an epiphany, um, in 2019, my friends and I did a, two friends and I did a rim to rim to rim at the Grand Canyon, which is about a 50 mile run over the, and back in the Canyon. And, Somewhere about halfway into that trip, um, I'd been just like living on bars and gels and and, and uh, electrolyte drinks and so forth. But I had stuffed into my bag a roast beef sandwich, just I'm like just in case. I mean, this is an economy of space here. It's kind of stupid to bring something like that, but in case I you know get a need for real food. And we got about halfway through the canyon, and I was like, I am really hungry at this point. I really want to eat something real. And I sat down and scarfed that down and. You know, if I did that sure on like a, you know, it's a, a normal Wednesday night, you know, trail run with my friends. If I came out from work and scarfed down a roast beef sandwich and then ran and ran five miles, I'd probably just throw up. But my, you know, in that circumstance, my body was like, we are prepped and ready to to dissolve this in your stomach immediately. <laughs> Go ahead and put it in there. I dropped Real that thing food. in and then just sprinted across the canyon, had no problems at all. And so that was like an epiphany for me. I said, I'm always going to carry real food now on these things. And I have ever since I'll, I'll have some energy stuff in there, but I will try to find like a, a sandwich of some kind and just put it in there and eat it. It's great. Very nice. How about after canyons? What's your favorite after canyon beverage? I'm, oh. I'm a teetotaler. So for me, it's probably usually Mountain Dew. Uh, I don't drink alcohol. Um, Kelly, I don't know. What you're... Uh, I, I do drink alcohol, but not after a canyon. We um, we're actually known by all of our friends for our voracious Mountain Dew consumption. Which is ironic since I'm a dentist. Let's just put that out there right now. <laughs> uh, it is what it is. Uh, so, it, you know, we go out for a long canyon. We go out for a long mountain bike ride. Uh, we go out for mountaineering. And we always have a, a little mini cooler with some Mountain Dews at the end. <laughs> we, we'll carry them on our whitewater boats if we have. Yeah, to. we carry them in whitewater. Yeah. We, we always have our Mountain Dew. Yeah. And that's awesome. Our friend Doug does that too. So we try to bring him one while we're having our beers. So he has yeah. something to enjoy right too. On. That's awesome. Cool. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Oh man, that's a hard question. 
I wish I'd been prepped for this question, sure. All <laughs> right. I'm sorry I didn't send you the link. <laughs> Um, I don't know, Kelly. Where would you go? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a hard question. I I would have to answer one of two places. I mean, I've always wanted to go um, hike the Everest Pass in in Nepal. So you know, going to Tibet. Uh, I do not want to climb Everest. I'm very against the uh, the Everest mentality. Like, must climb the highest mountain and must have a million gazillion dollars to do it. I don't think that that's what uh, the outdoors is about, but I think doing the base camp pass traverses, it's, it takes a lot of people like three months to do that. So probably when I'm old and retired, I'll get to that, but that's definitely on my list. I think I'd go to your house for dinner. Surely if you're, you know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so <weak. laughs> I'm a creature of habit and I would probably say New Zealand. We've actually been there twice. We were married in New Zealand and even though it's somewhere I've been now before, I love that place so much. And we have such a good time when we're there that if you told me, oh, you can only go to one place, I would say, okay, well, you know, I just want to go back there again. Really have you it. done any of the canyoneering out there? No, we have not. Nope. No, we've done like probably everything else you can do there. Yeah. We, we've mountain bike, we've done, you know, um, how to crossings, we've done kayaking and, you know, black sand beaches. We've, Gosh, we camped at the you know, Siberian Valley, took a bush plane. And we, we, yeah, our last trip there, the amount the amount there. of luggage that we had was pretty impressive yeah. because we were mountain biking, scuba, uh, scuba diving, kayaking, running, kayaking, running, and you know, because we do that so much, we're not we're not tourists when we do it. We we have our gear that we love, and we're still tourists. I mean, yeah, we're still tourists, but <laughs> for scuba, we have we bring all our gear with us. Yeah, we don't. The only thing we don't bring are tanks and tanks. Yeah, so. tanks and tanks. Yeah. Yeah, but we do need to. I, I, we do need to. We'll go there just so we can do an episode in your podcast about canyoneering in New Zealand. Yeah, I'll go with you. I <laughs> okay. New Zealand's high, high on my list of places yeah. to go. Yeah, and if you want to run the maze, you know, we'll we'll give you a heads up the next time we're going out there for that. I got to check my schedule on that. <laughs> <laughs> you might be busy that day. <laughs> I'm busy that day. Yeah. Well, I feel like maybe if you have a bigger crew, then maybe rope work would be a little more efficient because we, yeah. we have the same thought. Like, that if we if we run it again, it would be I mean, not too track. big of a crew. Maybe like four three, to six. No, three but three or four because then you're leapfrogging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. somebody to scout. It'd be great to have someone to scout the next anchor while somebody else. You're, you're also energy. not expending so much energy with all the rope work too yeah. like i'm saying somebody yeah. else can handle some yeah, of that that gets tiring pulling down a rope 30 mm -hmm. to 40 times whatever it was yep it does i was tired <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure yeah. all right well um any other safety advice before we say goodbye don't listen to us we are obviously no. are not safe people <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> always double check your emergency kit too i had to uh two goos with caffeine in my emergency kit that I'd forgotten about. And I, when we got back to the hotel that morning, I opened up my emergency kit and I went, Oh man, I, I could have had more caffeine. That would have been so good. Oh, I been so, yeah. Oh, hey, take the battery out of your headlamp before you go through security in the airport. My, my buddy had his battery in his headlamp when we were going to do our grand Canyon run. And Somehow the button got pushed on his headlamp. And so his light was just on for the entire trip out there. And we got out there and the next morning he was like, 
my battery's not charged my headlamp <laughs> well i guess you're gonna be following us down the uh south kaibab <laughs> right yeah. wow i found that mine just drains the battery power if i leave it in there so i either like too. flip them backwards or take them out yeah, and then smart. It's, it's a little more helpful but yeah, that's a good tip though i think yeah Anyway, I really, really appreciate you guys sharing your story. I'm glad that nobody got hurt and it was just a long, epic day. Yeah, comedy of errors. <laughs> right. we, look to, we look forward to the comments from you listeners as to how dumb we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that you were actually, you made a lot of the right decisions to get yourself out of the canyon safely. So, yeah, an even mix of bad choices and good recovery. Good, yeah, good decisions, recovery. I guess. I don't know. Really. Right. 26 hours, we didn't die. We just had a very long day. Right. And how was your ankle at the end? Uh, it was okay. It took a, it, it took some time to recover. Um, it's actually really hard to say because this past year I twisted that ankle again and I ended up uh, going to the doctors and um, they did an x-ray and he said, you didn't, you know, he's like, you just strained it this time. But he's like in uh, somewhere in the last few years, you did break it. And I was like, what? Yeah, I think and and I, I said I I had never had an x-ray and known that it was broken and he's like you have bone bone fragments in there from the tendon pulling the bone off so that wow was also potentially what was going on in the canyon oh man yeah but I I uh I have a history of ankle issues um I, I believe one time I fell and Jude looked at me and he goes your ankles are dumb <laughs> it is a recurring um thing i do carry uh, a wrap with me all the time in case it's going to happen again but um she had it reconstructed when she was in college she's had some she's yeah had some i've, had, I've had some i've had some ankle issues so i think i think i have a very high mm -hmm. tolerance for pain or mm -hmm. it um ignoring that like when i do twist it a lot of people will be like oh my god i can't walk i can't and when i do i'm like you just got to get back up. That's, you know. Which is very confusing when you're your husband because you're like, at what point can I, you know, how many times have I asked you if you're okay before I can, you know, start to joke about it? I'm not really sure. <laughs> right. He just jokes about it now. Yeah. yeah. Your ankles are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah it's just hard. It doesn't slow us down. Yeah. 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 It doesn't seem like it. I follow you guys on Facebook and you're always out doing stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Seems awesome. Very active life. That's great. Well, very cool. I feel like the canyons are calling. We should probably go. Agreed. Wow. What an intense story from Jude and Kelly. I'm really glad that Jude reached out to me a while ago and wanted to be on this show. One thing I wanted to talk about just briefly, they were mentioning the ghosting techniques that they used in canyoneering, and what they use is called the retrievable anchor. A lot of us also use a thing called a fiddle stick, where you just put a piece of fiberglass, basically, or plastic. I don't know what it's made out of. I should, because I sell them, but... Um, and it has a little accessory cord attached to it that you um, attach your pole cord to and then um, you put a stone knot around the tree with your rope you rappel down that and then when you pull the stick out of the stone knot the knot collapses and everything falls down um, that's one way that people ghost another way that people ghost is called a sand trap or a water anchor 
a wanker. And those you either fill with water or you fill with sand. And you would put them in a way where it wouldn't pull down with you. And then once everybody repels down, you pull the pull cord, which releases the water and the sand and everything pulls down with you. Those are definitely advanced techniques. You don't want to be doing those on your first canyon. You definitely want to learn what you're doing when you use those techniques, but those are other ways that people are ghosting canyons. So I just wanted to mention those briefly. Um, if you have a story like this or similar and, or you know somebody that does and you would like to share your story, you can reach out to me like Jude did on the canyons are calling at gmail.com and we can get you here on the show so you can share your story so that maybe you know something similar doesn't happen to other people we can all you know use other stories to maybe not get ourselves into the same situation i do want to say kudos to kelly and jude for not pushing the search and rescue button unnecessarily. They knew that they had gotten themselves in over their head and they did what they needed to to get themselves out because neither one of them were hurt very badly um, and they were not in a life-threatening situation. So they continued to go, which might have super sucked, but they got into it and they got themselves out. So kudos to them on that part. You know, maybe next time they'll just try to be a little bit more efficient or turn around when they realize that they're in over their head. Like they did mention, they had learned to choose different canyons when they were going out with beginners in a bigger group next time. So that's awesome. That's all we can do is learn from our situations that, you know, we get ourselves into. So I wanted to mention again, just quickly, this podcast is completely listener supported. So if you would like to join us and support this podcast, you can do that on patreon.com slash the canyons are calling. And to show my thank you for my Patreon supporters, I am doing the monthly canyon calls uh, where we meet up once a month. It's the second when or the first Wednesday of every month. So the next one will be February 2nd at 630 Mountain Standard Time. We're going to get together and this time discuss our favorite gear, maybe our favorite ropes, shoes, backpacks, things like that. Um, each month we'll have a different topic. We'll go over things like knots, anchors, rappel devices, whatever. Um, so if you'd like to join that, again, it's patreon.com slash the canyons are calling. And don't forget about the um, share your favorite episode with a friend drawing that's coming up March 1st. If you share your favorite episode with a friend, either on Facebook or Instagram, and tag me in it so that I know that you shared it, I'm going to put your name into a drawing, and that will be for either, it will be for a Canyon Fire Rope, and then if I get more than 50 people, or you share with, you know, 50 of your friends, maybe, <laughs> um, then I'm going to add some more prizes. So for every 50 people that I get sharing, um, the more prizes there will be. So I would really like to get the word out about this podcast. It's been about a year now that I've been doing it and I'm just super excited. It's going well. I have a lot of great content coming up and I feel like getting these stories out to people will be really beneficial for the community. So if you also feel like that dream is a good goal, share with your friends. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. And also, if you're in the Utah area, don't forget about the podcast first birthday party. That's going to be in North Wash on February 11th through the 13th. 
We'll meet at the Sandthrax campground Friday and just do some canyons for the weekend, hang up by the fire, tell some stories. Hopefully the weather's great. Um, fingers crossed. <laughs> February can be challenging. Um, anywho, the canyons are calling. I gotta go.